Alexander the Great. A liberated woman in a strong man's world, she seduced two of the most powerful leaders of her day. The first was Julius Caesar, thirty-one years her senior, who became her lover after pursuing his enemy Pompey to Alexandria. He restored her to her throne and then dallied in Egypt to take a Nile cruise with his pregnant young mistress. The historical records call it a royal progress. Back in Rome, despite having a wife of thirteen years standing, he invited Cleopatra and their son to join him in his capital and, to the considerable outrage of the Roman political classes, even installed her statue in the Temple of Venus, the first ever human image to be placed in such a location. After his murder, Cleopatra returned to Egypt, whence, at the end of the Roman Civil War, she was summoned by Caesar's one-time most trusted lieutenant, Antony, now joint ruler of the Mediterranean world with Caesar's adopted Roman son, Octavian, to Tarsus. A mistress of stage management, Cleopatra wafted up river to meet him at dusk on a scented, candlelit barge, displaying an image of beauty which even Shakespeare suggested beggared description. Cleopatra soon had her second great lover. Antony was more than a foil to Cleopatra, and much more than, as he is so often portrayed, a graceless, hard-drinking womanizer wearing a tunic too short for his years, who today would work out and wear too much male jewellery. From impoverished beginnings... He had risen to be Rome's most powerful general and politician, in an age when it had become increasingly difficult to separate the one from the other. Together with Cleopatra, he formulated a concept for a new bipolar world order, centred on Rome and Alexandria. Under it, Rome's military might and administrative skills would, with the backing of Egypt's wealth, form a partnership with the culture of the Greek or Hellenized society to which Cleopatra's Macedonian dynasty and capital belonged. Antony and Cleopatra's ultimate failure, however romantic, was by no means inevitable. As the balance of advantage swayed in their conflict with Octavian, they often seemed to hold the upper hand and, almost to the last, held realistic prospects of success. That Cleopatra so often entirely eclipses Antony is, in large part, a product of an intense propaganda campaign. This barrage of invective was deployed against them by Octavian while they were still alive and continued well after their deaths, selectively sorting and distorting the facts of their lives and careers. Octavian's motive was pure self-interest. Antony and Cleopatra were his final opponents in his campaign to make himself master of the Roman world. It suited Octavian's purpose to make the eastern foreigner Cleopatra the villainess of the peace, a wily oriental and a woman to boot, enticing Antony, a formerly good-intentioned if dissolute Roman, from the path of his duty and portraying himself as reluctantly assuming power to defend his homeland. Octavian led a team of propagandists as skilled at the art of spinning as any today. 
In addition, after seizing power, he simply had 2,000 documents, which did not support his version of events, burned, and the supposedly sacrosanct Sibylline oracles edited to reflect his thesis. As a result, Cleopatra, a charismatic, cultured, intelligent ruler who spoke seven languages and lived at least half of her adult life celibate, was transformed into a pleasure-loving houri, the very epitome of fatal beauty and monstrous depravity, bent on bringing animal gods, barbarian decadence and despotism to the sacred halls of Rome's capital. So successful was Octavian's propaganda that, fed by snippets of both fact and romantic fantasy, it evolved into the myth and legend of Cleopatra and Antony that has continued to develop, mutate and fascinate...